For over 100 years, Southern Company has been providing the resilient energy solutions their customers and communities count on, no matter what. They're committed to building a brighter tomorrow and improving their customers' quality of life by setting a goal of net zero carbon emissions and investing in local communities. Learn more about why Southern Company believes resilient people make resilience possible at southerncompany.com slash resilience. Southern Company, building the future of energy. I was looking at it all the time, constantly monitoring it. Take, I tried to take my laptop with me while I walked the dog. Like I had it in my hand and was like walking to the door and being like, no, this is, you can't, this won't even work. <laughs> it's basically a, a stock market for, for politics. I do love seeing the green arrow up. It gives me a little high every time. I'm Scott Bland, and this is Nerdcast. And I'm Zach Montalero. What? I, you skipped me. Don't skip me. No, I didn't. You just... Yeah, what do you mean I skipped you? You just said it. Uh, well, you started to talk. I was <laughs> taking a breath so I could talk after you talked. All right. Oh, my God. <laughs> Today, we're talking Predict It, which is kind of a stock market for political futures trading. And also just gambling, basically. Gambling, pure and simple because that's what it is. So, Zach, you've been watching Predict It for a while, partly because people on Predict It have been watching you because you're a campaign reporter. You follow polling really closely. You were following a lot of stuff over the past year, year and a half that they've been very interested in. Right, yeah. I write the Morning Score newsletter, which is our campaign newsletter, but on top of that, I, in the primaries especially, was all over the polling. And my interest in Predict It really goes back to the primaries when we had a spreadsheet going that tracked the primary debates. Ah, the spreadsheet. That feels like a really, really long time ago. It was. It was both uh, six months ago and 6,000 years. So my editor and I, Steve Shepard, ran a semi-infamous spreadsheet during the Democratic debate cycle where we would track basically who qualified for the Democratic debates. There was a series of kind of complicated and to some convoluted requirements to get on the debate stage. That was a mixture of polling and the number of donors you had. Uh, and I didn't think it was all that complicated, but plenty of folks did. And our job, Steve and I, we just basically tracked all that polling and we tracked all that donors. So at the moment a new poll came out, I could pretty definitively say so-and-so is qualified for the debate stage. You know, if you're a candidate like Bernie Sanders at the time, Joe Biden, uh, you didn't have any problems qualifying for the debate. They weren't the ones watching this debate spreadsheet. It was candidates on the fringes. Andrew Yang, uh, Steve Bullock, uh, pick pick a candidate who was at risk of being left off the stage. Their campaigns were watching our spreadsheet, and so were their supporters. And for most of the time, that's all I assumed it was. I assumed it was especially Andrew Yang supporters because Andrew uh, tweeted out the spreadsheet. He, <laughs> he came into her office once and said, we live and die by a spreadsheet, get this man a raise, which I really appreciate. It's a great part of a presidential platform when a candidate says I should get a raise. Um, and I just assumed it was a lot of his supporters following it along. But I later found out from some traders that, yeah, it was a lot of Andrew Yang fans watching it, a lot of people who cared about the Democratic primary certainly watching it. But it was also predicting traders watching it, too. And they would watch. I'm blown away. I did not realize yeah. that I was going to work every day and hazing someone with such power and influence you gotta watch out between the yang gang and the yeah. predictive traders i have a real minor celebrity <laughs> man yeah i'll remember you little people one day i have long thought that predicted is dumb and not not as a well i mean maybe also as an enterprise but just that, that people are looking to it as a predictive tool um i just am a little 
you know, I, I, I don't think the wisdom of this particular crowd like really says all that much. And then I think you, you know, you get among the, the people who do, you know, who are making like predictive models and stuff, you get people like tweeting a lot about both what the prediction markets say and also, but, oh, but, but by the way, by the way, you shouldn't actually pay attention to them. But that's, that's just me. Yeah. I mean, so I think just predict it just is zany. A lot of people call it the wild, wild west of betting because, it, you know, this is not, like a sporting event, right? There's a, there's a real outcome on the line here. Who wins the presidency certainly matters a lot more than if the Mets win the World Series this year. And it, there's also aspirational values, I think, that some people uh, give to predict it, that some schools have thought that think betting markets can go no wrong, like the stock market. You know, this is similar to a stock market, that stock markets know best. Will predicted outperform polls? Will people, will traders on predicted have a better sense of what's going to happen in the election? than polling or other data does too. There's a really great ringer story at one point that called it the Wolves of K Street, you know, a jokey play on the Wolves of Wall Street. And, you know, that's not dissimilar, right? Like there's a whole bunch of characters in Predicted too, that there, there is a lot of regular people using it and there is maybe some predictive value to it. But there's also a lot of characters on the site too who are just trying to find any which way edge they can get, be it following my mouse clicks on a spreadsheet be it trying to put out their own fake polls just to do at the very moment's notice, maybe, maybe move a share two cents for a couple of minutes so they can make a small profit, or even just elevating fairly routine reporting to be a big deal just so they can, you know, try to move the market to make some money too. On top of which, you know, I've seen evidence of political operatives uh, who when they, you know, if they get into a job where they have to file financial disclosures, a bunch of predicted money like turns up in their financial disclosures. So they're like trading Mm -hmm. off their inside knowledge, which again is not illegal in this circumstance, but I just think it's like ridiculous. Yeah, I actually talked to a trader who is a Democratic operative who, uh, for reasons probably pretty clear, doesn't want to be named. And he insisted he never traded on insider knowledge. He insisted that he was really just chasing the dumb money, right? That if you just saw things that really anybody could watch, that if you saw an election that was really significantly underpriced, he was bringing up um, on Super Tuesday, he said it was plainly obvious to him that Joe Biden was going to win the uh, election in Minnesota. He said that was pretty obvious, but it was really undervalued. But, you know, there's, there's definitely some level of uh, knowledgeable traders, we'll call them generously, people who may have inside knowledge on the markets. You know, that's changed, certainly, too. A lot of these markets are just based off of uh, who's going to win X state. You know, yes, no, Donald Trump will win this state. Yes, no, Joe Biden will win this state or get this many electoral votes. So a lot of that's conventional wisdom. But there's certainly uh, traders on there who have uh, more conventional wisdom, more knowledge than others. More wisdom, we'll just say. <laughs> yeah, more wisdom. So I was interested in doing something on Predicted, and I know a lot of Predicted traders follow me from my days as a debate tracker. So I put out the call on Twitter. I just asked for a bunch of people to, hey, what do you know about this site? Uh, can you share your thoughts with me? And I got a lot of replies. One trader who I've been familiar with for a while, smart guy. So my name is Jason Pipkin. Jason Pipkin is a fairly well-known trader. He has a blog. He replied. I am a neuroscientist by day job and a political futures trader by other day job. It's my primary source of income because I make, <laughs> I make, at least this year, I've been making like twice as much on Predicted than I do from the real job. So it goes in the bank account. I started in May of 2016. I don't even remember remember how I found the website, but I stumbled across it and I thought, this is terrific. I can buy Hillary Clinton to be the Democratic nominee at, at 90 cents on the dollar. That's free money, you know, 10% in a few months. So I thought it was great, safe investment stuff. And then I put a little money in, and one thing led to another. 
and before you know it, I was, I was hooked, betting back and forth, winning some, losing some, kind of a break-even trader through most of 2016. Got up to the election, I was ahead, a few grand, and then I lost about 2500 on election night 2016, Ooh. because like many others, I did not foresee Trump's victory. Mm-hmm. And then I got very angry at myself, so then I was thinking, okay, I need to get better at this and figure out what's going on. Uh, so I withdrew all the money except my the profit I had left, and I have never deposited since, and have been earning, you know, a second income from it, basically from 2017 on. And he's one of the traders who trades semi-professionally. This isn't just a hobby for him. The big transition point was just playing with other people that were very good. Mm-hmm. So I made some friends that were also trading on Predicted. That were we met up in the the comet section of the Predicted markets, which surprisingly is a, a thriving community. <laughs> and thriving's a word for it, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, it depends which which one market you look at. You know, this is kind of a fascination for a lot of reporters: is what news moves markets, and then some Predicted traders attempts to move the markets on their own so we shall say the, the the infamous shenanigans right the fake polls the that's probably the most prominent one or yeah. even getting polls early or even you know things like fake trademarks which happened in the in the vp race in the run-up how do you decipher okay that's real that's fake and and why do you think some people fall for a lot of these pretty amateur hour kind of fakes that even don't stand up to a little bit of scrutiny that it still can move a market pretty significantly at least temporarily I mean, firstly, I'll say that like shenanigans are on the rare side, mm-hmm. but they're the noticeable outlier mm-hmm. event, right? So they're, they are a bit of a shiny object. They do happen. Let's take the VP market, for example. That's a case where we didn't have a lot of real information throughout the entire thing. We had like two or three eliminations. We sort of always knew it was Kamala, but we weren't really sure. And then maybe it was Rice and then... Chris Dodd doesn't like Kamala and he's floating bass and, and all of this sort of thing. So that's an environment where you have a lot of open interest, mm-hmm. a lot of people wanting to bet, not a lot of information. So people start to tell themselves all kinds of stories to justify their positions or to justify why the market price is moving. And you create an environment ripe for panic. Let's take Karen Bass for an example. Let's say you're like, okay, Karen Bass is not going to be the VP nominee. We're just picking out some random congresswoman from California. No one's ever heard of her. It doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. You buy against her at 95 cents. You think that's her peak. All of a sudden, you know, the stories are coming out. She's being pushed. The price starts rising. You're looking at your no shares of 95 cents. They're going underwater. Now they're worth 89. Now they're worth, and then you start, oh my God, what am I going to do? Do I just hold? Do I sell? Some people will cut their losses and they'll sell and try to get back in cheaper. They'll turn around and go the other way. When they see sharp market movement, they may think, oh, wow, something must have happened. Any time there's low information and high fear of a sudden news event that could move it, you know, like the leak actually happens, then you, you have the potential for big panics and, and swings. How are you playing the VP market? Like, give us like, I don't know, like a two week window, right? Were you, were you in from the beginning? Like, I think it's going to be Kamala and uh, just, you know, kind of hedged your bets with no shares and other people. Were you, would you, did you think have a lot of money sitting on a, maybe a outsider candidate picking it up? How are you handling the market? Usually, I mean, I would, I was not planning to hold much high volume for very long, which is my style. 
and I don't think I played it particularly well. I, I made a lot of money, but not like as much as I should have, probably. What would you estimate? How much money do you think you made from the VP market, kind of as a whole? Uh, I made five thousand dollars in the VP market over the over the course. And it, would that be like a strong market for you? Five thousand bucks over the course of a few months seems pretty good to me. Uh, is that like a strong market? Is that an overperforming one? Is that like a typical one for you? I mean, it's definitely one of my one of my better markets mm-hmm. for sure. I I don't like it because. Here's the thing. The way I always look, I'm always like, well, how could I have done it better? Mm-hmm. And at, you could have had Karen Bass at one cent and sold her at 25. You could have had Tammy Duckworth at two and sold her at 15. Mm-hmm. You could have had Susan Rice at one cent and sold her at like 70. So, I, so I'm always thinking like, wow, if I had 85,000 Susan Rice shares at one cent, you know, I could have made 20 grand on some random spike, right? So I think not playing that way, not just buying a lot of cheap stuff and waiting and hoping probably cost me a lot so that's why i'm a little critical of what i did win but yeah it's up there i mean i i think my best market is the democratic nominee market where i did a similar strategy and made about about twice as much how predictive do you think predict it actually is do you think there actually is value in predict it versus looking at polling versus looking at reporting or do you think it's you know mainly a, a, an object to kind of drive uh, some folks making some extra money well, for me, it's the for for the money, but I will. I mean, I, I look into how good it performs, and the and the short answer is pretty reasonably well. If we look to 2018, for for example, the 538 Deluxe model was the best performing of everything. They were number one, and Predict it was number two. So we beat out their classic model. They had like three subdivisions of their model. It's kind of confusing, but. The performance wasn't that far off. And basically what Predictit does, or any of these markets or exchanges, is put a price on conventional wisdom. So if I were to give advice to someone like looking at markets from the outside, saying like, how do I use this? Can I look at the price in Florida and panic about Joe Biden's chances or, or Trump's chances? Um, I wouldn't do that. Just know, okay, this is what a group of largely male online people willing to put their money down have reached a consensus probability of, right? It may be that there are more Republicans unpredicted, I happen to think so, than Democrats because it's all men, and the prices may favor Trump a little more than they should. Other people disagree, obviously, because they're buying Trump. So the static price is not particularly informative, but it could give you a ballpark. So you think, okay, I thought Florida was a toss-up. Here it's pretty close to 50-50. That makes sense. What might be interesting to those people is to look at the movement in prices. So if you looked at Wisconsin, for example, and you looked at it over the past week, you'd see that it moved very sharply, maybe 10 cents, almost 10 cents towards Trump, whereas other states didn't move as sharply. And that's because the market is pricing in an extra Kenosha effect there mm-hmm. from from the unrest. So that's giving you some insight into how the markets are pricing specific events and what kinds of things they think are important. So the markets apparently think that social unrest benefits Trump and that it's important. So that's the kind of lesson you could take away from the markets. If, if someone walked up to you on the street and asked you, should I get involved? <laughs> would you tell a regular person to, to plop down some money on it? I absolutely would, and I have. I, <laughs> I tell them that Predictit is a website where you can legally bet on the outcomes of political events. And unlike a bet at a bookie, you're not locked into your position 
until the event happened. It's a little bit of a mix of betting and the stock market, and it's completely legal in the U.S. And, and who do you think is going to win? I think Joe Biden is going to win. I'm more bullish than the market. I'm more bullish than Nate Silver. I'm probably around 85% chance Trump can still win, but things don't look good for him. I started betting on the general election I, months ago, I mean, in and out, various places. Mm-hmm. I'll give you my strategy. So from my experience in 2016, a lot of safe states mm-hmm. will get to ridiculous prices, and you can collect a lot of safe value there, which I happen to, to run a slightly larger bankroll that allows me to do that. So you know, in 2016, you could get California for the for Clinton at like the high 80s, like just completely free money. So I usually put out low offers in those markets to try and get fill to try and get fills, and then wait. And those are just long term investments. The rest of the markets, the swing states, I'm in and out of. I'm trying to predict the movements. I'm reacting to the polls. I try to get polls early if I can, and and wager accordingly. And then what I'm going to do is I'll be out of almost all the swing states and almost all of the big markets going into election night because, again, I don't like to be caught holding if things do start to go the other way. And what I'm really working on is all of the data analysis I have to do in order to react to the returns as quickly as possible and in the appropriate way. And... How do you kind of envision like the predicted universe, right? I've had a good metaphor a trader use for me. It's like an 80-20 kind of situation. If there's 20% of people who know what they're doing and 80% of people are, are, are rubes who are either, you know, betting with their heart or just very casually involved at best that may at best, you know, bet on yes, no, who's going to be president, but not past that. So like, how, how do you envision when you're playing, like what percentage of players are smart that you're, you know, that are either challengers or, or people to collaborate with versus like your average person just kind of dropping a couple bucks in there i think it's probably the number of really sharp players is very small less than five percent and the number of people who just put a hundred bucks in and they bet trump because they like trump or they bet biden because they like biden is the vast majority of traders but it does depend which market you go to you travel far afield and you're getting into some obscure primary, you know, a market on the who's going to win the Oklahoma runoff or whatever, you're going to run into a higher fraction of sharp traders because they're the only ones that find that kind of thing. But if you're in the general election market, a lot of that money is dumb money or at least casual money. Jason represents a small percentage of the traders on the site who takes this really seriously and who actually know what they're doing. Other people, other engaged traders pay attention as well, but some are motivated a little bit differently. You can't have an ending like that and not come back and try to um, get revenge and have a comeback. Two of them host a podcast all about predicted. We'll be right back. For over 100 years, Southern Company has been providing the resilient energy solutions their customers and communities count on, no matter what. They're committed to building a brighter tomorrow and improving their customers' quality of life by setting a goal of net zero carbon emissions and investing in local communities. Learn more about why Southern Company believes resilient people make resilience possible at southerncompany.com slash resilience. Southern Company, building the future of energy. Welcome back. Starley Kine and John Kimball host a podcast called Election Profit Makers, along with their friend David Rees. 
And it actually started all the way back in 2016, ahead of that election. I'm John Kimball. I am a investor, mostly in domain names, and I've been doing that for about 20 years. And I got started on Predictit in uh, 2016. I'm Starly Kine, and I... I've been using Predictit since 2016. And in 2016, I don't even think I used it myself. I think I gave John money and he bet for me. So what made you want to kind of get you involved in Predictit and then not only get involved and start trading, but to do this podcast too and to drag Starly into it? Well, I don't know if I drag Starly into the into the podcast. <laughs> I I was I had weekly phone calls with my friend David Reese. And I was talking to David back in 2016, and he was asking what I was up to. And I said, I, f- I found this website called Predicted, and I'm, I'm trading. And I was making a lot of money off of uh, Trump supporters, which would push up every contract that had Trump winning. They were pushing up to a really high price, and I would just bet the opposite. And in, in many cases, I would win. And David said, that's insane. How much money are you talking about with that? Thousand. I mean, I was, I was, you know, maybe up three or four thousand dollars at that point. Every contract has a eight hundred and fifty dollar limit right. on it, so you can't make tons of money. But um, yeah, I mean, I was up three hundred percent or so at that point. And then David said, "Hey, we should do a podcast on this." But then he roped in Starley, and I, I remember thinking that we were going to ruin Starley's career <laughs> when, when she agreed to, to, to produce it for us. Jury's still out um, about whether that happened or not. <laughs> it's possible. So Starley, what kind of attracted you to predict it? Was it, was it just getting involved in this podcast in the first place? Was, was that kind of your entry point? Yeah, yeah, I never heard of it before. I mean, a lot of people have never heard of it. Now, mm-hmm. it's like a crazy alternative universe that exists. The first time it was to cope with the anxiety of that election. And the markets were different back then. So you were able to like kind of have more casual fun. If you didn't bet that much and have that much money invested, it could still be, your interest could still be invested because like if there was a word market and you tuned into the debate to see if they said that word, anyone can do that. And it became less about, for me at least, winning money. Because I didn't know how to win money then. Uh, but you do now. Yeah. <laughs> I've been forced to learn how to win money because they took all the fun markets away. Yeah. As Starley <laughs> said, we yeah. we were sort of in it for fun and sort of in it to yeah, to help deal with our anxiety. Yeah. After I started making real money, I started thinking, yeah, I could use this money. And I started taking it a little more seriously because, you know, three or four thousand extra dollars is nothing to sneeze at. That's real money. So- so what happened with 2016 then? It's maybe a little bit of a leading question that it was going well, and then it uh, wasn't going well for at um, the end that you know Hillary Clinton lost, which I don't, I don't even remind you all about Hillary Clinton losing, but like how did that kind of flip predict it on its head for y'all? Yeah, we lost. I mean, predict it was wrong. The pundits were mm-hmm. wrong. Some would argue that most of the models were wrong. Some some models gave mm-hmm. Trump a little more of a chance than others. And uh, I think my biggest mistake in 2016 was I sort of discounted those models. And um, I was all in on Hillary winning. I couldn't couldn't really believe it. And she she lost. And I, I, I lost $4,000 on election night. So I lost all, all of my money mm-hmm. that I had made before. Do you remember how much you would have won? I think I would have won about 4000 Big swing. It was like an $8,000 swing, something like that. Yeah. And a lot of it I pushed out. You know, people ask, how much was the exact number? And I'm kind of like, I, I don't even know. Yeah. 
I kind of think it was higher mm-hmm. than four. Really? I don't think it was four. Yeah. I I, I mean, I think it, I, I remember it being six. Really? Well, it, 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 mm-hmm. hey, look, it may have been. It may have yeah. been. Yeah. <laughs> oh, jeez. I don't know. I never listened to the last episode, so I don't know. <laughs> this isn't like a fun experience. It's a little bit painful almost, but like, you're now, you're back doing it again. Uh, like, what was like the immediate re- emotion behind that? And then why, why are you back? What, what brought you back? Revenge. Revenge. <laughs> yeah. And narratively, the first season had a surprise, an upset happened mm-hmm. that we did not see coming, which is actually, narratively, it was very exciting because you didn't, it was a, twist it was truly a shocking ending which is what you want when you write fiction or even what you maybe want if you're like cheering on a sports team you didn't want it in this case but if you could separate the reality from the narrative I kind of feel like it was the best case scenario narratively in terms of a surprise Mm -hmm. but when that kind of ending happens like at the end of Rocky there's obviously going to be a sequel (laughs) like you have to you can't have an ending like that and not come back and try to um get revenge, and have a comeback. So they lost their money, and their gal didn't win the election. So in this second season, their goal is to try to make their money back and get some revenge. And how is that comeback going too far? Because I guess I'll say like my intro to predict it was like, I was like vaguely aware of it. I've been vaguely aware of it for a while, but it was really around um, Andrew Yang's folks for their obsessiveness. I guess, and, and the mismatch there, too. Uh, I think, you know, I thought he hit as high as 10 cents to win the Democratic nomination, but I think it got higher than that. Um, so, like, kind of like one of the, you know, kind of the pitfalls of predicted, too, is that, like, it, it brings in a lot of people who don't think about it. Talk about the dumb money. Talk about, like, betting against emotions, basically, because you bet with your emotion in 2016. Almost. Well, I... And the models and the polls. Jo- did you, John? I, I, would, I disagree that we, that we bet mm-hmm. with our emotion in 2016. I still think that was the best bet mm-hmm. to, to bet uh, against Trump. I think mm-hmm. it was a mistake for me not to hedge in 2016 in other ways. But, uh, you know, in 2016, it was the Trump people that were betting, I thought, with their emotion. And I still believe they were, but they won in the end. But yeah, in 2020, it was the Yang people and a lot of the Bernie people this time. That's where the money was, betting against the Yang and the Bernie people, for, for me anyway. Every four years, the cycle resets. So now we're betting against versions of ourselves from four years ago <laughs> then you learn the lesson and the next time i don't think john was ever betting just pure emotion but i think he's right that it was it did seem plausible very plausible that hillary was going to win last time but last time i wouldn't have made any bets that would have gone against what i personally wanted to have happen and then when you get burned you start betting differently and there's two different, there's dumb money, which is the people betting with their emotions, and then there's mm-hmm. the people manipulating the market. Like, in the VP market, when Susan Rice was surging, it wasn't because those people were dumb, and it wasn't because people passionately, I imagine it wasn't because people passionately wanted Susan Rice, to the degree they want Bernie, it was because they wanted to pump her to make money before the announcement, right, John? Yeah, yeah, no, there's definitely a lot of manipulation in the markets. Savvy manipulation as opposed to dumb dumb betting. They talk a little bit about the savvy manipulation because we see everything from like pretty painfully obvious like fake polls is the one that always comes to mind. I like I'm at heart like a poll guy. I read polls. Saw fake trademark applications. I think I saw a fake like news website saying Tammy Baldwin is selected versus just like pumping up a legitimate news report from the New York Times or Politico. Like 
how do you watch this manipulation basically like what are you watching in the vp market especially like what was effective and what and, and what was just like silly people kind of chasing uh, a tweet they started a false rumor that Kamala had unfollowed Biden on Twitter. <laughs> that was savvy people manipulating dumb people because it's totally insane. Even if she wasn't going to get the nomination, that wasn't it just it just wasn't true. There's just no way it was true. Uh-huh. And some people were like, maybe she never followed him. She was actually following him when they started that rumor. None of it was true. But people wanted to believe she was that petty. And so then they jumped on that. And then the people who kind of made that rumor course through won money, right? Yeah. And there's a lot of people that are in the comments that that are just sort of talking out of both sides of their mouth and, you know, being tongue in cheek and saying, oh, yeah, you know, this is definitely not Kamala now. But, you know, they they may just be being sarcastic. So you have to take everything with a grain of salt in the comments. I don't like the comments. They're dark. Yeah. The comment section is very dark. They, they are dark. I, I tried to look at them once after John was talking about them. I don't want to be there. <laughs> yeah, no, the con- there's a lot of there's a lot of trolling. And- when we lost last time, the trolls found us. I don't think they were talking in the predicted comments, but maybe on our sound. What's the SoundCloud. what's the thing where you SoundCloud? SoundCloud? Yeah, yeah. They, they as soon as we lost money, they were coming to mock us and saying how much they loved, they were going to enjoy spending our money that they took from us. Yeah, they did, because we had been, you know, taking their money for a long time and essentially yeah. trolling them. And they, they took all of our money, or all of my money. But in the, in the months <laughs> after that, they lost all their money again. The rush. The rush. The fear. The rush, the fear. Um, how, how do yeah. you think, like, those kind of emotions kind of, like, drive both experienced and new traders, too? Is that, like, you know, the rush, the fear that you get your first win... Or you, you take your first real gut punch. You think that kind of kind of affects how people trade? If you lose it, yeah. If you lose it, you take a big gut punch, or you take a big win too, and like, you feel invincible after that. Like, I think if you lose it, you get really it's really traumatizing, and if you win, it's it feels like being in a relationship where you break up. Win, win, win or lose, you're starting over again the next time, and all that stuff you had to build and all the work you put into it and all the time you spent is just gone and you have to do it again and that felt very daunting and exhausting to me yeah there's a real letdown do you think this change your relationship with politics at all i think it's pretty safe to say you guys are both biden supporters does this change how you watch the election at all or at the end of the day is you know you care but this this is there's also money on the line the vp market changed how i watched it because i didn't want it to be her and i i did not want it to be kamala and then i only wanted it to be her. Mm-hmm. It made me care about something in a way that I wouldn't normally. And I think that was helpful. I think it made me embrace her more once she won. I felt like she was mine. <laughs> like I like I we had we had done uh-huh. it together. I got a little piece of her victory. John, how about you? Do you think this changed your relationship or will change your relationship to elections at all? Um uh, yeah. I I mean I I'm I'm constantly thinking about it when I am going to watch when Biden gives a big speech, mm-hmm. I, I do want to hear what Biden has to say. But in, in the back of my mind, I, I, if I'm being honest, I'm thinking, how is this affecting the market and predict it or what may be happening there? So it's kind of sickening to think. I mean, if something were to happen to Trump or to Biden, one of them were to get sick or, you know, worse, to think if I were watching that on, on Twitter – I would immediately go to predict it and sell all my shares to to mm-hmm. avoid losing all of 
my money. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's just the reality of it, of being in that in that market if, if something were to happen. So, so yeah, I, I think it has changed it a little bit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. John, so I really appreciate it. That was fun. Cool. Bye. All right, that's our show. Thanks, Zach. Thank you, Scott. Zach Montalaro is a campaign reporter at Politico. Thanks also to Starley Kine and John Kimball. Their podcast is Election Profit Makers. And Jason Pipkin, who trades on Predicted. Our producer is Annie Reese. Our senior producer is Jenny Ament. And our executive producer is Irene Noguchi. Our illustrator is Bill Cookman. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, do us a favor and leave a review. It helps new listeners find the show. And while you're there, you can find our other podcasts, like our daily show, Politico Dispatch, and others including Politico Energy and Women Rule. We'll talk to you again next week. Thanks for listening. For, for some reason, I almost said Happy Thanksgiving in there. I really don't Happy know why. Happy Thanksgiving! Like, I'm, I'm, I am losing my mind. I'm completely losing my mind. Yep.